Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Also, it's a beautiful day out on the patio, so those of you who are joining us outside, we're glad you're with us. And then everyone here in the auditorium. We are really excited about today and this week in particular as we begin Holy Week. We've been talking about what it means to be extraordinary. It's been the message series that we've been in for a few weeks now. And the question we've been asking is, what is the extra when added to ordinary lives like ours that makes someone like us truly extraordinary? And we've been talking about how God's list of extras is very different than the, the extras that we tend to pursue and tend to think makes us extraordinary. We're going to conclude this series of messages today by looking at the, at the core, the center of what it is that makes you and I truly extraordinary. Turns out, it's you. It's who you are in all of your uniqueness that is truly extraordinary. Your you-ness is really something to behold. Now, I'm not talking about the you that often independently and selfishly demands its own way and exerts its will. Now, that you can be quite ugly and very harmful as it runs over anyone who dares to get in the way of their units. That's not the you I'm talking about. I'm talking about the you that God created with all of its unique abilities and unique gifts. If God had created that you just simply as a display, kind of like a, a piece of art that he could display, it would rival any of the great wonders of this world for its complexity and for its beauty. But God, of course, did not create us just to display us as amazing pieces of art. No, he created us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. In a sense, we are working pieces of God's artistic design. And that, well, that's extraordinary. What that means is that God has something important in mind for us to do. He has a job for us to do, a job that we can do, but it's not really for someone else to do. It's for us. Do you see what that means? That means that you and I have value beyond comprehension. The problem is, rather than look up at God with acceptance of who we are and gratitude for who we are, we're often found pointing to somebody else and thinking or saying, I really wish I was more like them, not like me. I mean, just imagine what this sounds like to God. While he is saying, I created you for a purpose. I created you in an amazing way. While God is saying that, we're saying, you know, I wish I wasn't me. I wish I was them. I wish I had their gifts. I wish I had their abilities. I, I wish I had their money. I would love a job like they have. If I could only be married to someone as amazing as they're married to, or if I could only be married like they're married, or if I was as handsome or as attractive as they are, or if I had their health, and the list goes on and on. Why do we do this? Well, like everything that is broken about us, it all goes back to the moment in history at the very beginning when Adam and Eve, as the representatives of all of humanity, decided to sin and create a, a break in our relationship with God. God is now at a distance in our hearts. And one of the consequences of that sin, their sin and now our sin, is that we are, we are cut off. We are 
at a distance in our hearts from the one who establishes our worth, our value. We were created, the Bible says, in the image of God. And so in his image, in the outline of of his shadow close to him, there's absolutely no question about our worth, about how valuable we are. But now, out on our own, we're not so sure. And we are left to try to find other ways to establish our value. This is why our own sense of self-worth is something that is so fragile and gets so much attention. The reason is we really don't have self-worth. What we have is shadow worth. That's very different. What I mean by that is we, we can declare our worth. We can say to ourselves we're valuable, but it, it doesn't really ring true for us. Because we weren't created to declare that about ourselves. We were created to know that that's what's been declared about us in the shadow of God. We have shadow worth. Our value is established now by what we stand next to or in the shadow of it. It was supposed to be God. But now at a distance from him, without him, we are constantly looking for something big enough that casts a large enough shadow over our lives uh, to make us feel the worth and the value that we long to know of ourselves. So in this scramble for finding something big enough that casts a large enough shadow, what we tend to do is we, we are drawn to whatever gathers a crowd because if it gathers a crowd, it must be big. It must be important. And so the things that gather a crowd, the beauty of another person, the wealth of another person, the talent of another person, the accomplishments of another person, those gather crowds. And so we are often drawn to those things because they must be big if everyone gathers around them. But the problem is any sense of worth that is not attached to the God who created us is a false sense of worth and will eventually fail us. It will fail us either by crumbling now, the thing that we're standing next to will crumble, and in that moment, we're left with our sense of worth crumbling. Or it will crumble when God wraps up history. And only then will we discover too late that it wasn't big enough. That in fact, what we were really standing next to in the scope of all of eternity was more like trying to hide behind a blade of grass. It just wasn't big enough to cast the shadow that we needed, and it, it's now gone. It's withered. So trying to be like someone else or wishing you were more like someone else is what tends to keep us from discovering the real basis of our value. And so we are warned in the pages of the Bible about comparing ourselves to other people. These warnings are throughout the Bible. But I think one of the clearest chapters in the Bible about this warning is in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, and it's found in the the 10th chapter of this book. And we're going to look through the the key verse, we're going to look at other verses in this chapter, but the key verse, the summary verse of this entire chapter, which is a warning against comparing yourself to someone else and trying to anchor your sense of value in what other people think of you, 
The warning is found in verse 12. So let me read this warning. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That's the Bible's way of saying that's really dumb. You shouldn't do that. You know, the most common word in the Bible for not wise is foolish. That's folly. That's foolish. So this morning, you might have noticed that there's three C's in this verse. And so this morning, I want to talk about the three C's of what we're going to refer to as a foolish self-image. A foolish way to determine what you think of yourself. These are the three C's, classify, compare, and commend. This is what we do, and we run this cycle over and over again. Maybe you're not familiar with these particular words, but this is what we do. First, we put everyone in categories. We classify them. And we do this so that then we can more accurately compare ourselves to them. And the purpose behind all of it is so that we might feel good about ourselves, so that we might commend ourselves. We might pat ourselves on the back and feel better about ourselves than we do on the inside. It's very important to understand this cycle. So we're going to go through this in a little more detail. The first C is classify. First thing we do is we classify. Now, classifying itself isn't bad, but we tend to use it in a way that's very damaging to us and to others. Here's what the word classify means. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word that's used here for the English word classify is a compound word. There's two Greek words together. Uh, the first word means a fixed place. The second word means to judge. So these two words are jammed together in the one Greek word for classify. So the definition of to classify means simply to assign a fixed place or a fixed position or category for someone, something, or in this case, someone. We often say we, we put people in a box. We classify them, put a label on them. Now, we do this all the time. Recently, I, I went on a bike ride with a, a new friend, and we hadn't really talked a lot about the kind of biking we did before, and so we showed up to this parking lot, and I think we were both relieved. I know he was relieved because uh, as soon as I got out of the car, he said, oh, good. And I said, what? He said, I didn't know if you'd be wearing jeans or, or what kind of bike rider you are. You see, it would have been a problem if I'd showed up wearing jeans with a mountain bike and open pedals, and he showed up wearing spandex with a road bike and clip-in pedals. That would have been a problem. We would have been in two different classes, not, not one better than the other, but just different classes of bike riding. And in order for us to ride together, we rode about 30 miles that day, it was helpful for us to be in a similar class when it comes to bike riding. And this is really helpful in all areas of life. I mean, I, I've had people invite me to ride with them, and I just ask a few questions, and I can pretty early on tell we're in a different class. They're way faster than I am. So I'm, I, no, that's okay. I'll just, I'll just stick to my class. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be left out there in the back. <laughs> so classifying is actually a helpful thing. It's a necessary part of navigating our world. You know, a boss 
and a coworker. Those are two different classes. If you're working at a company and you're talking to someone, it's really helpful to know, is this the boss? Is this your boss? Or is this just a fellow coworker? That's a really helpful thing to know. So you need to get that classification right. If you're a parent, it's really helpful to know that you're the parent and they're the child. Especially when they get into the teenage years, it, it can get really confusing. It's really helpful to know who's what. You know, if, if you're going to get medical help, who's the doctor, who's the patient? Classifications are very, very helpful. Is this a friend or is this an enemy? Very important classification. But what we tend to do is move beyond just the helpful categorizing and classifying that needs to be done just to navigate life, and we, we get into a harmful way of doing it. Recently, I got stuck behind a car that was going way too slow on Warner Avenue. So eventually, I got myself in too much of a hurry, and I decided I got to pass this person. As I passed them, I looked to see who is driving this slow car, and I classified the driver. My classification was, and I'm embarrassed to say this, was old driver. <laughs> that was my classification. Now, was that the last thought on the matter? No, when it comes to harmful classifying, we usually have follow-on thoughts. Because that kind of classifying is done with a purpose in mind. And the purpose is almost always to look down on somebody so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's the purpose it serves. You know, if someone is below us, then we can feel better than them, and then we can feel better about ourselves. So I didn't think I was a better driver. I felt that smug feeling of knowing I was a better driver. <laughs> I didn't have to think. I just, knew, I just knew. Well, about 10 minutes later, someone zoomed by me on the left side. <laughs> And I, I'm not sure, because it happened pretty fast, but I'm pretty sure I saw the exact same look from the other side of the exchange. They were looking at me like, old driver. And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I'm an old driver. I am an old driver. This is what old drivers do. I got distracted by something, I don't remember what, and I just slowed down. That's what old drivers do. That's what we do as old drivers. So this is the problem with classifying. We get it wrong. Classifying only makes you feel better if you're in a higher class than someone else. Now this letter to the church in Corinth called 2 Corinthians because it was the second letter. The book before the New Testament is called 1 Corinthians because it was the first letter. In Paul's first letter, the Apostle Paul's first letter to this church in Corinth, he said some pretty challenging things. He was right, of course, but they were really hard things to hear and even harder things to address and change about. So one of the responses was rather than immediately oh, that's really helpful and challenging and very convicting. We'll get to work on it right away. One of the other responses, because that's not a natural response, was to begin to classify Paul, and particularly his words. 
So in this very same chapter, we see a couple verses that are honestly Paul referring to some of the conversation that people have had about him since that first letter was written. Here's what it says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 10. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. It's basically saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to be heavy-handed with you. This is really important stuff, and you really need to know this. So I'm, I'm trying to be meek. I'm trying to be gentle on this. I'm not trying to be mean. And he goes on to say, I, Paul, who am, quote-unquote, timid when face-to-face with you, but, quote-unquote, bold, went away. Why the quotes? Because Paul's referring to the words that were being used to talk about him. What they were saying is, you know what? He's really a scaredy cat when you see him face to face. I mean, these words sound really strong, but if you were to see him, he's nothing. He's milk toast. You know, these words are bold, but he's, he's a scaredy cat. He's timid. They were classifying him in a, in a negative way. Verse 10 of the same chapter goes on, for some say, Paul says, this is what they're saying about him because this is what they are saying about him. Here's the quote. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. Wow. That's a put down. Why are they doing this? What they're saying is, you know what? Don't worry about Paul and and what he said in this letter. He's pretty much all bark and no bite. If you were to hear him talk, he's unimpressive. He's not very good. I mean, his letters may be amazing, but have you heard him speak? I mean, they might have mentioned this moment. In Acts 20, there's a record of Paul speaking so long that one guy who was leaning up against the window listening to him fell asleep, fell out the window, and died. (laughs) I mean, there have been some times where I've spoken, I thought, boy, that just didn't seem to connect. But I've never killed anyone from boredom. (laughs) You know, because at least that I'm aware of. I mean, to talk someone to death, that's, that's hard to get over. So why are they bringing these things up? Why do they want to classify Paul as a bad speaker? Well, because then they could dismiss what he'd said. They could avoid feeling any need to change. Now, the pendulum, pendulum tends to swing both ways whenever we classify people, the, the bad classifying. Either we feel better about ourselves than we really should, or we feel worse about ourselves than we really should. Almost never, and I'll go on a limb and say probably never, do we get a real accurate read on ourselves when we classify other people. You see, the problem with classifying is that God didn't create classes when he created people. There are classes, but that's not the essence of who people are. This person may be a doctor. This person may be your boss, but that's not the essence of who God created. God didn't create classes. He created individuals when he created us. And when we put people into a class, we are missing the core of who they really are. There's always more to someone than meets our eye. You know, the Corinthians thought that Paul was not that, to use their words, weighty in person. You know, he 
he's not going to really account for much, was their thought. But the fact is, now at a distance of 2,000 years, well, we're talking about him this morning. How many people that were on this planet 2,000 years ago do we talk about that often? Not many. Paul looms large in the history of the world and in the advance of the good news of Jesus. They had no idea that these letters, as they called them, would turn out to make up a major portion of the New Testament, part of what God's revealed to us. The point is this. We just never know what we're looking at when we look at a person. We never know what the future might hold. So how can you tell if your classifying of people is of the helpful kind, the necessary kind, that's needed in order to navigate reality, or how do you know that it's slipped into the harmful kind? Well, a harmful type of classifying always goes on to the next two C's. Helpful classifying just stops. Oh, good. It's my boss. I, I, I know who this is. But harmful classifying goes on to the next two C's. The next C is compare. Compare. The word compare here again in the Greek language, is another compound word. It has the same root word to judge, but the prefix word, the first word in the pairing, means to stand beside. So to classify means a fixed place plus to judge. Compare means to stand beside and judge. So what this word means is to stand beside someone and basically measure yourself to use them as a tape measure, as an evaluator, to measure yourself and see how are you doing. That's why it says in this verse, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. They're using each other to, to measure themselves by. Now, whenever you use other people as the standard by which to measure your life, you're going to always come to the wrong conclusion. There's two reasons why you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. The first reason is people are dynamic. They're not static. In order for you to have an accurate measurement, that unit of measurement needs to stay the same. You know, an inch is always an inch. It doesn't change. A mile is a mile. A pound is a pound. If you're going to measure yourself... Using a standard, it's got to be an unchanging, static standard. But people are not unchanging or static. They are always changing. And they live in a world that's around them that's constantly changing, and so their life is continually changing. So to compare yourself to someone else, what you're really doing is you're taking a snapshot of something that you think you can see in their life, and you're comparing it to your life, and you're saying, I want that one picture. But people are not a picture. They're more like a movie. You're just seeing one frame in thousands of frames that are their life. And the thing that we all know is just because you look at someone and think you see something you want, there's a whole bunch in that person's life that you can't see, that you may not want. You just want the one thing that you can see. So if you order from the comparison catalog, in other words, you, you take that snapshot and you say, you know what, I want their car. Or I want the quality marriage they seem to have. 
When you order from the comparison catalog, you never get what you see in the picture because what you see in the picture isn't real. I mean, their car may be real, but that's not the only part of their life. It comes with everything else. If you think they've got an amazing marriage, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You don't know. Just by looking, it's really hard to tell. We are never able to compare our entire life to someone else's entire life because we can't see their entire life. But our entire lives, it's a package deal. It all goes together. What we tend to want is just one part of their life. But the way life is, is it's the good with the bad. It's the part that we can see wrapped up with the parts that we can't see. This is why comparison is so foolish. You're not even comparing yourself to something real. You're comparing yourself to a snapshot. And that was just a fleeting moment. It's no longer there. The second problem with comparison is that we, we're all different because we all have different assignments. God has crafted us uniquely because he intends for us to do some things with our gifts, with our abilities. And so if we look at someone else and say, oh, I wish I was like them, they've got a different assignment. That's why we're different. The uh, Tokyo Olympics, obviously, were supposed to happen this last summer, but because of the virus, they were postponed to this coming summer. So to help you get familiar with our Olympic team, I want to introduce you to two members of the team. Uh, one guy is a shot putter. The other guy is a long-distance runner. So let me put these two pictures up and see if you can tell which <laughs> is the shot putter and which is the marathon runner, the long-distance runner. Any guesses as to who is who? It's shot putters this side, right? Yeah. I don't know how far he could run, but that's a, that's a big body to run with. So the shot putter's name is Ryan Krauser. He's going to be our shot putter in Olympics. This other picture on this side is Galen Rupp. Galen's been in several Olympians. You might have seen him before. But you put Galen up next to Ryan, it's like the guy doesn't look like he has a muscle. <laughs> but he does, just very different muscles because he's in a very different event. They're both Olympians. They're both top in the world in their events. But if you were to demand that they be the same, you would then say, well, there's only one Olympic event, and there isn't. There's a bunch. And this is what God has done for us, not just made us different physically. He's made us different on the inside, too, because he has different assignments for us. He's designed us for a unique assignment. In verse 13 of the same chapter, we read this says, we, however, Paul says, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field God has, and there's the key word, assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. Paul says, I've been assigned to start this church. That's why this field reaches includes you. This is my assignment. You've got a different assignment. The key thing is, don't go beyond the proper limits. When we compare, 
what we're doing is we're looking at another person's assignment and automatically forgetting our assignment or ignoring our assignment. And in doing so, we are going beyond proper limits, as it says. You see, we've been given a field to tend to, is the image that's being presented here. The thing about a field is that it has boundaries. Either they're marked by stones or flags or fences, but there's boundaries to it. And if you're going to boast, it says here, if you're going to feel good about what you're doing, make sure it's by looking at how you're doing with the field that you've been assigned. If you're going to sit down and look at someone else's field and the grass that we say is greener on that field, then you're, you're ignoring the field that God has given you. And to use the words here, that is not wise. That's foolish. Then this brings us to the third C, commend. Commend. This word is not a compound word in Greek. It simply means to stand beside someone. So here's what we do. First, we classify. We fix judgment by assigning a category to everyone. That may be helpful, but then we go beyond that and we compare. We decide judge. We stand up next to them. We measure ourselves so that we can do this third thing. We do all this so that we don't have to stand alone. Remember, we were created in the image of God. What that means is all by ourselves, we don't do good. We are like shadows. We find our purpose in the outline of our life in the shadow of God. Our true value comes from being attached to Him. But we've gone our own way in different ways. Now we need to stand next to something big before we'll feel good about ourselves again. God-sized big. But we can't seem to find a true God replacement because, of course, there isn't one. We can't seem to get enough people to approve of us, to make up for God. So this chapter ends up, verses 17 through 18, 2 Corinthians 10, we read this, But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. If you want to know what is worth boasting about, it's what God does and says, not what people do or say. Approval comes not from how many thumbs up you can get for yourself, but whether or not Jesus has been the one that's attached your shadow back to the Father, whether you're standing next to Jesus. Our shadow is too large for us to hide behind people. It's a God-sized image that we are created to be a part of. We're made in His image. That's why the approval of others will never be enough. Our true value is determined by our Creator. Nothing else will do. Nothing else can replace that. You know, if you own a house... You've probably gone onto Zillow sometime this year because house values are going up. Just to see what your house is worth. How does Zillow.com arrive at the price they say your house is worth? Well, it's through the market. The market is basically what other people have paid for comparable houses in your area. And that goes up and down. 
But you know, there's some things in my house that Zillow can't classify. There's some things in my house that have a value to me that's independent of the market, of what other people think my house is worth. Let me show you a picture of one. This is a picture of something that someone built for me years ago. You may recognize this is a plumb line hanging from this thing that they built. And the reason is because there's a verse in the Old Testament that's meant a lot to me, and I've spoken on it lots over the years, if you've been at Seabreeze. It's, it's about a, one day in a construction project, and there's a guy that's got a plumb line, and he's measuring to make sure the wall that was built is straight. It seems like a minor, insignificant day in a long project. But God says in response to that, who despises the day of small things? And his point is, this may look little, but it's not. Don't despise it. And this verse has really been helpful for me when my days seem small and ordinary. Because God is saying, don't, don't despise this small stuff. It is the accumulation of small days that really allows the big things to happen. So I've done messages on that, and someone made this for me years ago. If I put this thing on offer up, I probably wouldn't get anything for it. I might get questions, what is it? But I wouldn't get much money for it. But that doesn't matter because it's not for sale because this is precious to me. Every time I look, well, not every time. Most times when I look at this thing, it really helps remind me of what's really important and to not despise the day in which small things happen because that's the way most days are. Insurance can replace my house can't replace that. Now, you've got the same kinds of things in your house. Maybe things your grandchildren made for you. You know, the world will eventually burn, but what God wants to rescue from this world is us. We are his handcrafted pieces of art. We are priceless. We are God's treasure. So stop wishing you were a different piece of art. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make copies. You've probably heard that. Let that sink in. He only creates original pieces. And that's why it says in this verse, this key verse we've been looking at, it says we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves. What an interesting statement. We don't dare do this. Why say dare? Because to do this is insulting to God. He handcrafted you for a purpose. And now you want to be somebody else? Don't you dare. Don't you dare do that. Instead, find the field that he's given you to work in and then work that field. And if you notice someone really impressive in the field next to you, do your best to smile at what God has created over there and then get back to what he's given you to do. Don't dare classify or compare yourself so that you could commend yourself. You're extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, it is so obvious as we look around us and we look in our hearts, everybody is clamoring to be extraordinary. And it's because at a great distance from you, 
we've lost the real reason that we are extraordinary. And so I pray that you would, even those of us who have had our shadows reattached to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help us to see and, and know the impact that that has on our value. We're so grateful for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for the way you've made us, exactly the way you've made us. Give us clarity on our assignment so that we might experience the joy of doing what we're created to do. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.